Let's take our Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Thank you, Selena's family. Thank you, Sochi, for your part in the service today, playing the piano and singing, and my mom and dad for uh, being willing to bless us with special music uh, as such, using your talents and gifts for the Lord. Matthew chapter 10. You know, when we take our eyes off ourselves and put them on Jesus, it just changes everything about the way we go about life. Uh, oftentimes, we get off track because our eyes on our, are on everything but the Lord. And uh, we, uh, we, we get back on track when we put our eyes on Jesus and how much He loves us. Matthew 10, verse 23 through 30. Once you found that, if you would stand, please, if you're able to, for the reading of God's Word. So good to see so many of you uh, today. I haven't spoken with some of you in a good long time. And uh, if, if that's the case, reach out to me this week. Maybe I'll try to reach out to you, but it would be great to connect, see how you're doing. And, uh, I, it, for instance, Mike and Marie back here, Yankowski, Marcus, Francesca, it's great to see you guys. And I, my heart's just warm to see you all back in church and doing well. I know it's not your first time, uh, but we're thrilled you're back. Many others of you, like Mike, I haven't spoken with in a while and would love to catch up. Uh, if you think of it this week, reach out. Mark 10, 23 through 30, and we'll be reading responsibly. I'll begin in 23. We'll... Read every other verse together, beginning with 24. Please read with some enthusiasm and some life this morning. Verse 23, the Bible says, But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not, uh, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Together, 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what Ye hear in the ear that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. We've been looking at this series of sermons to open up the year. Uh, stand with conviction. Stand with conviction. Today's sermon will be our persecution. Now, when I sat down and put a pencil to this sermon down on this date last fall, I asked the Lord, are you sure you want me to preach such a, such a heavy sermon on a Sunday morning? And I felt that he did. I felt that he did. And uh, I could make this sermon super, super heavy. Uh, we'll not do that today. We'll just preach the Bible. We'll preach the passage. But I hope today that all of you will be challenged to go forth and take a stand for Jesus no matter the cost. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to understand the message today. Lord, as you sat down with the disciples, I wonder if they weren't cutting up and having fun ahead of this. And Lord, you made the spirit of the of the uh, of the room or of the, uh, the just made the atmosphere around them rather more sober and somber and serious, and Lord it told them that while serving you is fun, it also means persecution, 
And Lord, help us today to understand that truth. And Lord, help us to do our best to take a stand no matter the cost. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, our sermons to date in this series, let's see here. Um, three weeks ago, or rather four weeks ago, we looked at our principles. And we said it's important that you know what you believe. And not only what you believe, but why it is you believe it. Do you really know, down to your core, what you believe when it comes to God and the Bible? And do you know why you believe it? Then, three weeks ago, we looked at our passion. It's not enough to just know what you believe and why you believe it, but you have to go and do something with it. There should be a passion there. We talked about that your life choices, your decision-making, the circle of your life shows everyone around you what you truly are passionate about. And we said that if you're going to take a stand for the Lord, you're going to take a stand with conviction, you better know what you believe and you better be uh, zealous and passionate about it. Last week we looked at the sermon of our prudence, our prudence. And we said that prudence is wisdom put into action. Wisdom put into action that you not only know the right things and you have a head full of wisdom, but you get busy doing it. And that is uh, knowledge mixed with Zeal mixed with experience and you are prudent in your behavior. You are prudent in the way you take your stand. And then this week we'll look at the sermon of our persecution, our persecution. Next week, I hope you'll come and I just want to throw this out of here ahead of time to sort of give you a uh, a dangle of carrot in front of you if I would, if I will. We're going to conclude each series on Sunday mornings with a person that embodied what we've been talking about. And so as I began to think about who in the Bible um, uh, uh, embodies the idea of conviction and standing with conviction and uh, principle and passion and prudence and persecution, I thought of Queen Esther. Queen Esther. Boy, Queen Esther stood with conviction. If you don't know uh, the life story of Queen Esther, there's a whole book in the Bible devoted to her, and it is a fascinating read. I would encourage you between now and next Sunday, on top of whatever Bible reading you do, to read through the book of Esther. It'll help you come prepared and ready for the service. And our four points next week will be the four, uh, uh, the four uh, items that we've covered, principle, passion, prudence, and persecution. We will work that into the story, or rather we'll let the story show us those four things in her life. And so that'll be next Sunday. Persecution. Let's talk about persecution this morning. What do you think of immediately? What pops in your head when you think of persecution? Can I tell you what comes into my head? Pain and suffering. (laughs) Torture and death. That's what I think of. How many of you are with me? That's what you think of when you think of persecution. You know, um, there are varying levels of persecution. And those who stand for something will experience persecution on some level. That's just to be expected. If you take a stand, and it is not a popular stand, you will be persecuted. It doesn't matter what it is. I talked about a few weeks ago being a 
Red Sox fan at a Yankees game and how that is a way to get persecuted, right? You stand up and cheer for the Red Sox when they had a home run around a whole bunch of Yankees fans. And you know what? You're taking a stand in an unpopular fashion and that will get you persecuted. How much more so is that true when you take a stand for Christ and you wear the team jersey for the Lord and you're taking that stand in a world that hates Christ, that hates Christ? We are to take a stand. Our theme this year is stand for Jesus. Stand for Jesus. Boy, it sounds so grandiose. It sounds so courageous. I'm going to take that stand. It sounds so impressive. How many of you here want to take a stand for Jesus? Raise your hand if you want to take a stand for Jesus. If you're not willing to hold up your hand, then I know you're not really willing to take a stand. Amen. Raising your hand in church is easy. Amen. Okay. You want to take a stand for Jesus? We all want to take a stand for Jesus. How many of you um, are willing to pay the price? How many of you are willing to suffer with that stand? Uh, You know, when I was a little boy... In uh, Sunday school, the, the teacher would, uh, the Sunday school teacher, I'm sure this happened more than once, and those of you that grew up in church can probably relate, but the teacher would teach on the armor of God. And you know, what this teacher was trying to do was embody, you know, like a knight in shining armor. You know, the, oh, the handsome knight in shining armor. But it would end up being like, um, what's that stuff you ladies use to cover up tin foil, right? It would end up being tin foil like over a piece of cardboard. And it would be like, you know, this flimsy-looking shield and, um, you know, these shoes that looked really goofy that got put on over the top. And, you know, you'd have your sword. And that sword looked like it would break if you tried to poke anybody with it, right? And uh, the teacher would get through talking about the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. And the, how many of you have been in a, in, a, in a setting where you've seen something like this? The, the helmet of salvation and the gospel shoes of peace. And the little cheesy second or third grade boy is standing there. And it's like, this isn't really making the point. Amen? And I appreciate the effort. And you know what? This idea of a knight in shining armor and wearing the armor of God, as I read Ephesians 6, I think about someone who is all uh, 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 has their gear on and they're ready to go into battle for the Lord. And boy, that's exciting. But what we fail to realize is that if we're going to go into battle for the Lord, we're going to get shot at. Bullets fly. There are casualties. There are wounds. There's trauma. There is spiritual PTSD that takes place when you take a stand for Jesus. Now listen to this quote. To the degree the crowd around you disagrees with your stand, to that same degree you can expect to suffer. To the degree... That the crowd around you disagrees with your stand to that same degree you can expect to suffer. There was a day about 50 years ago where being a Christian was popular in America. But the less popular it is to be a Christian, the harder it is to be a Christian. So you know what the church does in order to keep from suffering? They drift further and further from Jesus, but they keep their distance from the world so as to provide the illusion of holiness. 
Here's the Lord. It used to be that the church could be just a couple of feet away from the Lord and be a good 10, 15 feet from the world. But as the world has grown farther from God, the church has followed behind. And now the church is where the world was. What do you think if we woke the Apostle Paul up from the dead or put him in a time machine and brought him into today's time, maybe Peter and Andrew and James, put him in a time machine and we brought them here and we stuck them in a modern-day American church with rock and roll music, people real casual. You know, the Bible talks about the lifting up of holy hands. The problem with a lot of these churches is the hands that are being lifted up are not holy. We want a version of Christianity where we have a foot in church on Sunday and a foot in the world on Monday, and we want to have it both ways. Here's the problem with that, Christian. Not only does God not like it, the world doesn't like it either. You know what the world calls someone who's one way on Sunday and another way on Monday? They call them a hypocrite. So why do we do it? Why do we do it? No one likes it. We want to have our cake and eat it too. I am thankful that the world is growing further and further and further from God. I am. It makes it easier for me to take a stand for what's right. It makes it easier for me to say no to sin. Another quote here for you. The further the crowd around you strays from God and His Word, the more you will stick out if you stand up. The more you will stick out if you stand up. Such was the case in the nation of Chad over in Africa. Christians in modern-day Chad, Africa, were being persecuted for refusing to participate in old tribal initiation rites that uh, they say are pagan. Reliable sources reported the tortured deaths of pastors, evangelists, and other church leaders who declined to commit acts counter to their faith, acts such as drinking chicken blood offered to idols, handling fetishes, and the like. The accounts told of persons buried alive with just a part of a leg left above ground or, for slower death, with only the head exposed, a terrifying warning to others who resist. The persecution originated when the president of Chad launched a cultural revolution assertedly to rid the nation and its four million inhabitants of unwanted foreign influences Foreign influences is what he labeled Christianity, and to establish an identity with the country's past. But church leaders reportedly met and agreed to oppose such uh, actions, and some church groups say they would not readmit members who took part in the pagan practices. The evangelical churches in Chad number more than 1,500 churches with tens of thousands of members. I propose that every Christian must be willing to take their stand for Jesus, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. 
This is the crux of the introduction right here, so I hope you're listening. Jesus stood for me and Jesus stood for you when we were not worthy in order to freely offer us salvation. If Christ can die for you when you are unworthy, then you can stand for Him because He is worthy. If Christ can die for you when you are unworthy, then you can live and stand for Christ because He is worthy. You see, many are willing to die for Christ, but few are willing to live for Him. Especially when that means that you will not be popular, or when that means that you will be persecuted. Hey, newsflash. It is not popular to be a Christian in America in 2021. You're going you're to come be part of White Oak Baptist Church and you're going to attend the church and put your name on the membership roll and get involved and read your Bible and pray and go to church and uh, uh, love the Lord and, 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 and believe in Him and tell others about Jesus. In 2021, hey, it's not the popular thing to do in this country. And if you're going to be a Christian, you can expect to be persecuted. Because it's not getting any better out there, folks. The world just keeps straying further and further and further away from its Judeo Christian roots. I want us to go through Matthew 10 this morning and let's let Jesus teach us about persecution. The heavy but real truth of standing with conviction our persecution. You are encouraged as every week to take notes. You have an outline on the back of your bulletin. I encourage you to use it. Number one, notice our reality. Our reality. Letter A. We will suffer persecution. We will suffer persecution. Hey, Jesus himself said it. Look down at Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 23. Everybody there, I know you're writing. I'll give you a chance to fill in your blanks. And then I want everybody's eyeballs on Matthew chapter 10, verse 23. You hear me say this regularly. We use the Bible a lot at White Oak Baptist Church. And so if you love the Bible, you'll love it here. Please, please, please uh, follow along in your Bibles. Don't do the opening text and just close your Bible and sit there. Now, if you struggle with keeping up with the turning of the pages, then maybe you sit there. Uh, But if you're able to keep up, please keep up. Most of our reading today will be out of the book of Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse 23. The Bible says, but if they persecute you in this city. Is that what it says? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Look back there at 23. But when, but when they persecute you in the city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Jerusalem or Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is not enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub... How much more shall they call them of his household? I just thought of this illustration. I didn't use it in the 830 service. But boy, it's appropriate here. When I was a young man, my father was the Christian school administrator of a school that ran about 300 kids, kindergarten to 12th grade. The high school had about 100 students in it. And the high school had a bunch of kids in it that did not like my dad because he represented authority. And so uh, they were uh, uh, subtly disrespectful to him, but because he was in charge, there was only so much they could do. I remember being a child, I'd go into the bathroom there in the school, and I'd go into the bathroom stall to use the bathroom, and I'd look up on the stall, and there would be written in Sharpie, I hate Mr. Lejeune. 
And uh, the bathroom wall would get painted and it'd get scrubbed off. And about a week later, someone else would have written it up there again. Mr. Lejeune and some really awful word. And uh, again, it'd get painted over and someone else would write something else derogatory toward my father. Now, they were calling him names. They were persecuting him uh, uh, with name calling. But you know who bore the brunt of the hatred toward Mr. Lejeune? Mr. Lejeune's kids. Now, he was big, and there was only so much they could do. They could name call. But his children, they really suffered for it. And I remember when my dad came to me after my seventh grade year and said, we're moving. I said, hallelujah. I don't like this school. People are mean to me. I got pushed in the shower when I was changing for PE. I was shoved in lockers and locked in there uh, for some time. I, was, uh, I had other things done to me I won't go into detail with. But I was not treated very, very, very well. And you know what? I suffered because of who I was, because of whose child I was. Listen, my friend, if you're going to be the child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and they persecuted Jesus, do you think somehow you get off the hook and you don't have to suffer? We, again, are filled with a country full of people who want to call themselves Christians but are not willing to pay the price. Not willing to pay the price. They'll be a Christian when it's convenient. They'll be a Christian when it means being comfortable. They'll be a Christian when it means having friends at church. They'll be a Christian uh, when it means that they get to go to the potluck and sing the songs and have the fun. But when it's time to stand and suffer, when it's time to be persecuted, well, they just want to be counted out. I'll take a pass on that. My friend, if you're going to take a stand for Jesus, you will suffer persecution, especially as this country grows more and more hateful toward Christ. You can expect the world to discredit you, misrepresent you, belittle you, berate you, betray you, and even beat you. Jesus said, I give, uh, uh, Jesus said, um, uh, you are, uh, if you're going to be associated with me, then this is part of it. Why? Because there is a war going on between good and evil. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against power, uh, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a war that's going on, and if you choose to be a Christian, you choose to join the army of the Lord and be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. This is why Paul told Timothy that if you're going to be on team Jesus or be a Christian, you can expect to be shot at by the other side or to be persecuted. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, he said, Yea, and all, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In Matthew 10, Jesus lays out the institutions that will persecute the Christians. There are three institutions Jesus lays out for us that will bring about persecution to the Christians. Notice first, religion. Religion. Look back at Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 16. Religion will come after Christians. The Bible says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. By the way, apostate preachers are called wolves all throughout the New Testament. These are preachers in churches who preach false doctrine. They're called wolves. And Jesus said, I send you as sheep amongst these religious wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That will preach on that another time. Verse 17, but beware of men, for they will deliver you to the councils. Councils. Now, by the way, Jesus is speaking to his disciples Councils, the council was the group of Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. Religious 
leaders within the major religions of that time, the Bible says that you will be delivered up to the religious council to be persecuted. And look where it takes place. Look at the end of 17. And they will scourge you in their synagogues. That's a religious building. That's a Jewish religious building. I, I know that this is not a popular thing to say. Probably here it's okay for me to get away with this. There may be someone online watching this who isn't a Baptist who would be offended by this statement. I'm not, I, and by the way, I don't believe that Baptists are the only ones that have it right. Any church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ in a correct manner uh, and uh, salvation is by uh, uh, grace through faith and in Christ alone, as long as that's preached and taught in the church, then this would not apply. But there are a whole lot of religious institutions that call themselves churches that are not Churches, they are being used of Satan to send people straight to hell. They teach a doctrine, they teach a faith, they teach a religion that's based on works. Uh, They preach that you can earn your way to heaven. And my friend, they have church on their sign out front, but they are no church because people do not go there and put their faith and trust in Christ. And religious institutions have been used by Satan to destroy the church or rather hurt the church for centuries, really the entirety of the church. Jesus' highest criticism when he walked on earth was to who? To religious people. He blasted the Pharisees. He called them snakes and vipers. He didn't talk to harlots and and sinners and publicans and thieves that way. He showed them mercy and grace. But to religious phonies, he called them vipers and told them they were Whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. Boy, it was religious people that put Jesus on the cross. Acts chapter 7. Stephen stands before this council. And you know what he does? He gives them a history lesson. And he talks about all of the patriarchs, all of the prophets that were persecuted. And he talks about the religious people that persecuted them. And then he gets down and talks about how Jesus was killed. And he says to them, You are of your forefathers who persecuted the prophets. You all are guilty of killing the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And you know what they did? They put their hands over their ears and they went and they began to bite Stephen. They were so angry at him. And they threw him in a pit and they stoned him. The first martyr died by the hands of religious people. In the Dark Ages, the Catholic Church, through the Crusades, murdered millions of born-again believers for their faith. One day, the Antichrist will stand behind religion, a one-world religion, and he'll persecute tribulation saints in the name of religion. Notice the second institution listed here in Matthew 10 is government. Government. Look at Matthew chapter 10 and look at verse number 18. Jesus tells his disciples the first place you'll be persecuted is at the synagogue. The second place is with the government. Look at verse 18. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. There was a French reformer named Theodore Beza. And he made a famous retort or a famous rebuke of King Henry of Navarre. Here's what he said. He said, Sire, listen, listen to this, okay? You've got to listen on purpose. This is powerful. Listen. Sire, it is truly the lot 
of the church of God, for which I speak, to endure blows and not to strike them. But may it please you to remember that it is an anvil. The church is an anvil which has worn out many hammers. The church is a hammer, an anvil rather, that has worn out many hammers. What was he saying? Hey, Mr. Governor, Mr. King, you can hammer the church all you want. They're going to win and not you. Governors and kings and presidents and prime ministers and czars and dictators, over the 2,000 years the church has been around, they have worked hard to either limit the influence of the church of Christ or all-out assault and attack the church of Christ. And every time the government comes after the church, the church expands and grows and becomes more radical in their faith. Uh, Government is used by Satan to try to eradicate the church, and every time it fails. Jesus tells the disciples, he says, watch out for religious wolves. Watch out for governors and kings. And then the third and most disturbing uh, institution he gives us is family. The family will persecute the church. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus says here, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am not come to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And I would pause there and say, God, you don't have to do much to put variance between the mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Amen? That sort of kind of happens on its own. (laughs) He that, uh, rather, um, it says there in verse uh, 36, And a man's foes shall be, look here, they of his own household, his own family, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is quoting Micah chapter 7 verse 6. Where Micah said, For the son dishonoreth the father. The daughter riseth up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies are the men of his own house. Now did Jesus... What it says, Jesus said there that he didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Does that mean that Jesus is intentionally sabotaging the family? No. No. Watch this now. If I stand with Jesus and my family goes along with the culture, there's going to be a problem. If I'm really going to stand for Jesus, it doesn't matter how sweet I am about it. It doesn't matter how kind I am about it. It doesn't mean how careful I am about it. If the culture hates the church and the church hates the sinful culture, there's going to be war between father and mother, uh, rather father and son, a daughter and mother, a daughter-in-law and mother-in-law. There's going to be war within the family. There's going to be persecution within the family. Now everyone, if you would, look up there, either look on your uh, outline or look up on the screen and notice the three institutions that are listed there. Religion, government, and family. Who created those three institutions? Those are the three institutions created by God. He created the family in Genesis 3. A little bit later in the book of Genesis, he gave us government. And then he gave us the church. 
And again, religion is Satan's counterfeit of the church. You see what Satan's doing here? Satan is taking what God created and he's using it against the Christian. Satan will persecute the Christian with the institutions that God gave us. Now, I want to just make this one comment quickly. Some of you here are all about being an American patriot. I love America. We have an American flag right there. I love this country. I have an American flag that flies outside of my house at home. I'm an American boy uh, uh, through and through. I love, 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 love America. But I don't love a lot of things America does. And I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm a citizen of this country. And if I'm going to have to pick between that one and that one, not that I love the Christian flag, but what it represents, I'm going to be a Christian before I'm an American. But that doesn't mean that I need to be combative with the government. You know, nowhere in the Bible did Jesus say, pick up your gun and go to war with the government. He just didn't. He just didn't. He does talk about suffering as you stand for Christ. He does talk about persecution. Listen, our reality is this. If you're going to be a real Christian, you will suffer persecution. The darker the night, the brighter the light. Our reality We will suffer persecution, letter B, letter B. We must boldly proclaim. We must boldly proclaim. Go back to Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 27. Look there. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples, What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, what I'm whispering in your ear, that preach, that proclaim, that preach ye upon the housetops. You know what Jesus said? He said, hey guys, the fireside chats that we've been having, all these private conversations where I've taught you, hey, all those times where I've spoken in parables to the crowds and then pulled you in close and I've given you a a deeper explanation of what those parables meant, there will be a day I ascend to heaven and I send you out there into the world and I want you to take these private conversations we've had and I want you to stand on top of the housetops and I want you to proclaim to the world the good news of Jesus Christ. He said, I want you to tell them all. He said, you know what that's going to do? That's going to take you out of my shadow and that's going to put you in the forefront and that's going to put you in the crosshairs of the devil. A lot of Christians, they don't ever get persecuted because they're over here hiding behind Jesus. I'm a Christian, but don't tell anybody. I'm a Christian as long as no one knows. And Jesus said, hey, what you learn in private, you stand up and you tell the world. You know why a lot of Christians don't suffer persecution? Because nobody knows they're a Christian. Do your co-workers even know that you go to church? Do they know that you believe in Jesus? How about your neighbors? Hey, where do you go on Sunday mornings? Oh, I go out shopping. I, 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 my, my kids have activities. And, and what we'll do is we'll tell the truth, but we're vague. You know, my kids' activities is church, but I'm not going to tell them what the activity is. Right? Oh, I, I can't make it to the work party. And, and, and good for you for not going if they serve alcohol. But I, I can't make it to the work party. Well, why not? Oh, I've got something else. You're too afraid to look at them in the eye and say, because I'm a Christian and I don't think that's the best atmosphere for a Christian. You all go and have fun. But I'm, I'm going to miss out. 
We're not willing to take a stand. We're not willing to boldly proclaim. Are you willing to tell your co-workers that Jesus saves? Oh, they won't like me. <laughs> uh, and, and you want to be... See, here's how, here's how it works. We're a lot of Christians in America. A lot of Christians in America. We want to show up to church on Sunday and smile real big. And wear our nice clothes. And look the part. And tell everyone, I'm a Christian. But then we wander into the world on Monday and, oh, I don't know Yeah, we want to sit on the sidelines on Monday and then act like we're not on the sidelines on Sunday. No wonder you're never going to be persecuted if you're not willing to tell the world that you love Jesus because He loves you. Now, I'm not saying you have to stand on the rooftop and tell everyone they're a wicked sinner heading to hell. Listen, there's a kind way to tell people that they need Jesus and that uh, uh, hell is the punishment of sin. And you don't have to be a jerk about it. But my friend, you need to take a stand for the Lord. Boldly proclaim. Look down at verse 38 and 39. And he that taketh not his cross, where? To work? In the neighborhood? With the family? As an American citizen? He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. One theologian noted the early Christians were not fed to wild beasts or dipped in wax and set ablaze as lamps in Nero's gardens because they thought Jesus was a helpful life coach or role model, but because they witnessed to him, to Nero, as the only Lord and Savior of the world. And what did it cost them? It cost them their lives. Are you worthy to follow Jesus? Are you willing to proclaim him boldly? Well, I just look. I'm just putting it on the bottom shelf for you this morning. Reality of a Christian is this: we will suffer persecution, but we must boldly proclaim, regardless. Hey, I want to stand for Jesus because that makes me, you know, that makes me look good. That's so romantic sounding. I'm telling you, if you take a stand, persecution's coming. Number one, our reality. Now let's get into number two and look at why many don't. Number two, our reverence. And if you'd like. Off to the side of reverence, put in parentheses the word fear. Our fear. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. He says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who do you fear? What do you fear? Jesus reminds us not to fear people or things that can only destroy this body, but cannot destroy the soul. Religious institutions can destroy your body, but not your soul. Government can lock you away and even torture you. But they can't get to your soul. Your family can betray you and stab you in the back. But they cannot condemn you into eternal hell. Only God is capable of destroying both the body and the soul. Are your eyes on the Lord? Do you fear Him? Letter A, notice, we tremble at his power. We tremble at his power. Look back at verse 28. And fear not them that 
uh, which kill the body and uh, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him, fear God, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Deuteronomy 4.24 and Hebrews 12.29 both remind us, for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, a consuming fire. Now, watch this. If I fear God, then I will not fear man. If I fear God, I will not fear the things that are on this earth that would uh, scare everyone else. Because my fear is in God and God alone. I fear Him. There's no room to fear anything else. I remember as a boy thinking that my dad was the biggest, strongest man on the earth. And then as I got older, my dad kept getting bigger. And then I just thought, my dad is the biggest man on earth. Amen. Uh, Thank God he lost a bunch of weight. But at one point, he was a big guy. Um, uh, Biggest, strongest man on the earth. But you know what? Even as I got older, even well into my teen years... Even well into my early 20s, I viewed my dad as being very strong. I've shared this before. Um, my dad spanked us growing up, and I know some of you are just, you know, flabbergasted by that concept. Go read your Bible, amen? Uh, but uh, I was spanked growing up, and I got my last spanking when I was 17 years old. And I cried. Because it hurt. My dad bent me over his knee, and he wore me flat out. My dad was strong. He is still a strong, strong, strong man. Strong as an ox. And I I feared my dad because he was strong. He was powerful. By the way, do you know that God gives men a deeper voice and a larger muscular frame in part, well, to provide for the family, one, but in part to help keep the children in line? You know, uh, when my wife calls in Matthew and April, to correct them, let me use a better example. We have a dog named Ginger. I love Ginger. And uh, Ginger does things she shouldn't do sometimes. And my wife will yell at Ginger. And when my wife yells at Ginger, I just kind of laugh. <laughs> and I don't know that Ginger's laughing, but I think Ginger might be laughing at her too. When I correct Ginger, Ginger! Oh man, she goes running in her beds. She immediately stops what she's doing. I have that deeper voice, that more manly frame, and that power that's represented by it. Boy, it just kind of brings that animal, or in the case of my children, brings those children, in the case of my, no, I'm not, I was going to talk to my wife, but I don't, I don't do that to her. Amen. Brings my, it brings my children and my, my animal back in line. And you know what? God is all powerful. And that dominance, that powerful dominance, we ought to look at God and say, I'm not going to fear what this guy or this girl or this virus or this thing over here can do to me because God is in control of all of these things. And if my fear is in Him, why am I not going to fear what man can do in me. Oftentimes we're afraid of being unpopular. And I just want to ask you a question. Are you more afraid of being unpopular with man or being unpopular with God? Because while we please men with our lives, God in heaven is left up there shaking his head. You know, uh, your co-worker didn't die on the cross for you. Your, your neighbor and your family member uh, didn't suffer eternally the way Jesus did. But we'll, we'll gain their approval while we hurt the heart of God. And God says, you should tremble at my power. You should tremble at my strength. I am the Almighty God. Let me ask you a question this morning. 
Are you afraid? Uh, and don't answer out loud. I just want you to answer in your heart. Are you afraid of the coronavirus? Well, let's just say that the virus is even more lethal than it already is. Are you afraid of that virus? And if so, I would just ask you this. Why? God is, watch this now. The Bible tells us God is the giver of life. He's the taker of life. He is the sustainer of life. God sustains my life. Do you know that if God wants me to get the virus, I don't have a choice in the matter. I could lock myself up in a room and push everybody out. If God wants me to get the virus, I'm going to get the virus. No Christian gets the virus unless God signs off on it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be careful. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't uh, take uh, steps necessarily uh, of prevention. If, if, if that's what you feel that you should do and you feel the Lord's leading you to do that, hey, I'm all for it. But you better make sure you don't fear that thing and your fear is in God and God alone. And I don't want to come across as being insensitive. My, my wife's aunt passed away this week because of the coronavirus. She caught it and in just a couple of days was dead. I've been, I've been trying to comfort my wife whose heart is hurting greatly right now. And so please understand, I'm not trying to be cold or insensitive toward anybody here. I get the reality of this. But at the end of the day, our fear is to be in God and God alone. Don't fear that which can only kill the body. You fear God and you take a stand for God. And don't you worry about what man can do to you. We tremble at his power. Let her be. Let her be. We triumph for his provision. Verse number 29 in Matthew chapter 10 Jesus tells the disciples, he said, not only am I strong, not only am I powerful, but I'm personal. I love you. Are not two farthings sold, uh, uh, or rather, two sparrows, uh, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. For ye, uh, fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. God values this creation, even the smallest, most insignificant of animals. You know, Luke chapter 12, verse 6, we find a parallel passage to Matthew chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 12, verse number 6, uh, Jesus tells us that you can, get, you can buy four sparrows and get one for free. They, they throw one in extra for free. That's how cheap uh, the, the sparrow is, that one gets thrown in for free. And Jesus said, hey, even when an insignificant little sparrow falls to the ground, I'm aware of it, I know about it, how much more do I care for you? How much more do I love you? Jesus said, hey, I want you to take a stand in the face of persecution. Why? You shouldn't fear those that can destroy the body, but not the soul. No, you should fear me and me alone. One and two, you should rejoice that I will provide for you along the way. How many of you here have seen God provide for you during a time of great struggle in your life? Whether that was emotional or material goods, God's come through and He's been your aid. He's been your help. He's been there for you all throughout your life. And God continues to provide over and over and over and over and over again. We should revere Him. We should fear Him. Why? Because He's bigger and stronger and more powerful than any being in the universe, than any force in the universe. And we should fear Him because He loves us intimately. 
How many times have you gotten down on your knees in prayer and tears ran down your cheeks? You called out to the Lord in prayer. Do you know that in heaven those tears are caught in a bottle? You know, God numbers your steps. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows how many times your heart has beaten. He knows every thought you think. You know, I look at my wife and my children and I'm impressed they love me because they know the real me. But God knows me even deeper and He loves me anyway. He's worthy. He's worthy of our reverence. We ought to live our life to gain His approval, not theirs. We ought to live our life to please Him, not others. We ought to live our life afraid that He'll punish us, not afraid that some government or, 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 or religious leader or family member will betray us. We ought to live our life with God's approval in mind because He is worthy. We see our reality. What is our reality? We're going to suffer persecution, but we must boldly proclaim. We see our reverence. And then number three, and lastly, notice our reaping. Our reaping. I have to be honest, it's hard to preach a sermon on persecution on a Sunday morning. It's hard. Especially when you go on to grow a church big and have lots of people come. I, I, I had an epiphany this week. I think a lot of pastors avoid topics like this on Sunday morning because they know if you want to grow a church, you don't preach on persecution on a Sunday morning. You don't go that route. But you know what? If the pastor loves his people, he's going to give them the truth. Even when it isn't popular. I'd rather be preaching on the love of God this morning. I really, I mean it. I'd rather have you open your Bibles to John 3 or 1 John 2 and preach on the love of Jesus. But we have to look at the truth. We have to preach the truth. So here's the truth. If you stand for Jesus... He's going to stand for you. If you deny Jesus, He's going to deny you. Letter A. Our reaping. Letter A. Notice the prize for the courageous. I don't pretend to stand here and make you think that what I'm preaching is easy to live. I know it's not. I know it's not. And the more animus that's felt toward Christians, the harder it's going to be to do this. But God promises a great prize if you'll stand for Him. Look at Matthew 10.32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. You know what Jesus said here? He said, if you'll boldly proclaim my name, if you'll stand for me, then I will have a conversation with God the Father in heaven about you. How many here have ever been standing around the corner when uh, uh, two people were talking about you and they didn't know that you were there? How many of you ever had that happen to you? And uh, when someone's saying something bad about you, that really hurts. But when someone's saying something that's flattering about you, boy, that feels really good, doesn't it? You ever walked into a room and had someone say to you, are your ears burning? That means, did you know we were talking about you? Now, um, I think it would be pretty cool to find out that um, a couple of political leaders 
were on the phone talking about me in a positive light. You know, if I found out tomorrow that President Biden had been on the phone with another world leader and said, you know, I've really been giving this Christianity thing some real thought. And I was tuned into the live stream of White Oak Baptist Church, and I was listening to Pastor Lejeune preach, and, you know, I'm, I'm really considering a Christ. That, I would, what? That's, that's awesome. Boy, I, that would put, yeah, put me on another level. I'd be so happy to hear that someone of his clout and his level was talking about me in a positive light. Now, President Biden is far from a perfect man, but God the Father is not. Or rather, God the Father is perfect. God the Father and God the Son have committed to have a conversation about you every time you take a stand and, 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 and proclaim him to the world. That is awesome. To know that I can go out on a Saturday morning and tell someone about Jesus and God the Father in heaven is up there talking to God the Son about me. To know that I can give a gospel track to the cashier at a, at a, at a gas station or a restaurant, uh, a fast food restaurant, or one of my waiter, where I can stop and encourage someone in the Lord who's having a tough time and know that in heaven they are talking about me. They care about me. What a big deal. The prize for the courageous. Boy, I, I know that I want God to pay attention to me, and I better pay attention to Him, and I better proclaim Him to the world. Letter B, notice the punishment for the coward. The punishment for the coward. Look at verse 33. Now, as oftentimes in Scripture, there's a stark contrast between the reward and the punishment, the prize and the punishment. Look at verse 33. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Someone here tell me where Jesus is located right this moment. Right hand of the Father. And you know what Jesus is doing at the right hand of the Father? He is interceding. He is mediating. He is acting as your priest with God the Father. Now, I want you to understand how this works. You go to the Lord in prayer, and you walk into the throne room of grace, Hebrews 4 explains, and God the Son is sitting next to God the Father. And you give your need to God the Father, and Jesus takes that, and He looks over at God the Son, or rather God the Father, and He says, will you do it for my sake? And God the Father looks at Jesus and says, yep, I'll do it for your sake. And your prayers are answered through the person of Jesus. Jesus plays an important role, doesn't He? In our prayers, hey, you know what? You're not willing to take a stand for Jesus? You go to the Lord in prayer and you say, Lord, I need this, 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 and this. And Jesus looks back at you and you know what he says? Nope. I'm not even going to bring it to the Father's attention. You can't take a stand for me. Then you're wasting your time in prayer. Could this be why so many Christians don't get their prayers heard or answered? Because we're not willing to take a stand for Jesus? You reap what you sow. You stand for the Lord. He stands for you. You deny the Lord. He's going to deny you. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, people were persecuted. Because of their stand. We're here today meeting in this place 
6,000 plus years into humanity because people before us were willing to take a stand even when it was hard. And now the baton is being passed to you. As persecution comes, will you take a stand? My prayer to the Lord this week as I put this message together was twofold. Number one, that God would encourage His people to begin taking a stand right now. But secondarily, that long term, we would have a mindset of persecutions coming. And when that day comes, I'm not going to buckle. I'm not going to cave. I'm not going to take my ball and go home. I'm not going to throw my Bible in the trash or walk away from it. I will live for Jesus, no matter what the cost. Is that your mentality right now? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you would say, Pastor Lejeune, pray for me that when persecution comes my way, it will purify my life, not cause me to quit. That I will take a stand for Jesus. I will take a stand for Jesus when it's hard. If that's your prayer, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I want to stand for Jesus no matter the cost. Now you just raise your hand. Most of you did. Here's my next question. Or rather, here's a statement. You're not going to stand for Jesus when it's hard if you're not standing for Jesus when it's easy. How many say, Pastor, is there pray for me that I'll start taking a more bold stand right now? Right now. I need to take a bold stand. I need everyone in my life to know I'm a Christian. Unabashedly, unashamedly, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm going to tell the world about Jesus. Not only with my lips, but with my lifestyle. Lord, today would you move in the hearts of each of these people. Lord, I believe there's a reason we didn't have any visitors today. This is a message to your people who are already saved. Lord, you want our commitment. You want our stand. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name.